chapter 3, Acts chapter 3, let me, re, re, let me restate that, Acts chapter 2, dos, dos, or zwei, if you speak German, hallelujah, Acts chapter 2, Father we come and we approach you tonight with great reverence, great awe, great hunger, and with much gratitude, we thank you again for the privilege of getting into the word of God together. It's bread, it's food for our spirit. And Lord, we thank you for revelation to flow in these remaining moments and minutes that we have together. God, I thank you that you would stir us, stir us within the depths of our being. Enlighten us, Father God, to the reality of your great plan and our part in it. Father, I thank you for taking these words of mine and ministering them by your spirit individually to each one that hears it. Because, God, there's an individual application to all of us. That, Father, that you would move us forward. Glory to God in the great plan that you have for us. That, God, that we would become the spiritual giants that this earth needs so desperately us to be. And we just so thank you for the coming great awakening to America. Glory to God. And that we're going to get to see it and be maybe leaders in it or participants at least. And we thank you for it in the name of Jesus. And everybody said, Amen. Well, in the remaining time I have, I have some things in my heart, uh, praise God, to, to just talk to us about. We were here a week ago on, Monday, on Wednesday, and I talked to us about the move of the Spirit. The move of the Spirit. That there is a move of the Spirit to be had. Now, I understand that uh, if the body of Christ would do the right thing, there's always... Right? Just like the Ohio River's always got water in it. If it didn't have water in it, something's really wrong, right? So there's always a flow there. Well, there's to always be a flow of the Spirit in our life. Uh, and yet there are some divine things that are sovereign, that are attached to the plan of God, events that are going to uh, culminate and take place uh, as part of the end times uh, that is going to encompass a greater move of God, I believe, than even what we read about in the book of Acts. And God is endeavoring to get His people over into this flow, and has been for decades. And, uh, but, you know, we can't lament yesterday and where maybe we've made mistakes. We are where we are, but we should pick up and press, right? Pick up and press. And uh, so here in Acts chapter 2, verse 17, actually, let's back up to verse 14. It says, but Peter standing up. Now this is in the aftermath of the, uh, the outpouring of the Holy Ghost on the day of Pentecost. 120 believers filled to overflowing and really you could see in a moment to intoxication with the Holy Spirit. And he says, but Peter standing up with the eleven lifted up his voice and said unto them, you mid of Judea and all that dwell in Jerusalem, be this known unto you and hearken to my words. For these are not drunken as you suppose. Now, they supposed it because they looked the part. <laughs> amen. You could get so full, amen, of the Holy Spirit. Come on, that it, there's this effect. And this is not an isolated text. Ephesians 5, Paul tells a group of Christians in Ephesus. He says, uh, be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess or dispensation or sin, Amen. But be being, the Greek says, filled with the Holy Ghost. 
So notice he makes that contrast again. Don't be like the world and get drunk like they do, but instead be filled with new wine. Hallelujah. (laughs) And, uh, you know, it's kind of a comical statement, but I mean it with all sincerity. The Christian life, really life on this planet, God never intended us to live this life sober. That's why so many Christians are dry and no fun to be around and sour and angry and frustrated. You need to get drunk. You just need to get, you know, just need to, you know, go to the bar when it's open, the Holy Ghost bar. Let me say that, the Holy Ghost bar. The Bible says in Isaiah that God will pour water upon him that is thirsty. Jesus said, if any man is thirsty, let him come unto me and drink. Let him drink. He told that woman at the well, you drink of the water that I've got to give you. He said, you'll never be thirsty again. (laughs) She goes, oh, give me this water. I'm tired of coming to this well. But he wasn't talking about natural water, was he? Water is a type of the Holy Ghost, a type of the Spirit. Amen. And God doesn't want us living frustrated and dry and gloomy, but He wants us to live light and come on airy and worry-free and carefree, anxiety-free, full of hope, full of joy. How are we going to do that? By getting full. Getting full of the Holy Ghost. Amen. It's very interesting that Paul told Ephesians, be being, that that word filled, be filled with the Spirit. Instead of getting drunk on wine, Ephesians 5, 17, 18, 19, right around in there. But be filled or be being filled, that word filled in the Greek uh, gives a connotation of continuous action. Well, it's very interesting uh, that he would tell, Paul would tell these Christians at Ephesus to be filled with the Spirit. They had already been filled with the Spirit. We won't go there, but you could write the reference down if you want to. Check me out. Acts chapter 19, Paul travels to Ephesus on a missionary journey. And he finds a dozen disciples. And he asks those disciples, Did you receive the Holy Ghost when you believe? And their response to him was, We hadn't even heard if there is a Holy Ghost. Holy Ghost, what do you mean Holy Spirit? I don't even know what you're talking about. We just know Jesus. And he explained to them, amen, what the baptism with the Holy Spirit was, laid his hands upon those Christians. And it says they were filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak in other tongues. So they were already filled with the Spirit. Why is he telling them later they've got an established church? It's a Spirit-filled church. They already talked in tongues. Why? Because you're not supposed to have, there's an initial infilling of the Holy Ghost called the baptism with the Spirit. That's what happened here in Acts chapter 2 for the first time. Amen? But there is to be a continual action, believer, a continual action in our life where we're constantly drinking in of the Spirit of God, living in a full state and not an empty state. Amen? Now, I've been around this walk long enough to know the difference between being full and empty. Amen? You know, you're going to find out if you just ignore your gas gauge for too long, right? What it's like to be empty in your gas tank. Things stop. Things are different. Progress slows to a grinding halt. Amen. Oh, but when you're full. 
And I know the difference in my life when I've, you know, uh, like in this recent season, traveling, giving out, uh, intense time at the Bible school, ministering over in Missouri, coming back here, you know, la la la, speaking three times in a single day. You know, you're giving out. You're giving out. And I have to take time to be away from you long enough to stay hooked up to the Holy Ghost where I can get refilled. Otherwise, the next time you see me, you might not like me. You know, if you're not full of the Spirit, you know what you are full of? Full of the flesh. Amen. That's why every day when you get up, you ought to put on the new man. You put on your clothes for sure, but I'm putting on the new man. In other words, you got to get up and start the new day and say, all right, I'm living out of my spirit today, not my flesh. You start in the word. You start in prayer. You start praising God. You step over in the spirit. Because if you don't, you're going to live in, you're going to live, you're going to wear your flesh all day long. And people will know. People know when Chris is wearing his flesh instead of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Amen. Praise God. And uh, so anyway, glory to God. So Peter's explaining this to them. For these are not drunk, as you suppose, seeing it is but the third hour of the day. But this, this manifestation, this demonstration that they're witnessing is that that Joel prophesied about. And he quotes that prophecy and says, It shall come to pass in the last days. It's interesting, this gives definition to the last days. The last days started almost 2,000 years ago. Now, if that was the start of the last days, where are we today? We're in the last of the last of the last days. Amen? So I don't know how much time, I don't know if you'll get to go home and tuck your children in bed tonight. We might be caught away before it's over. Probably not, but I'm just telling you, we're living in the end of this age. And he says, and it shall come to pass in the last days, saith God, I, God, will pour out of my spirit upon all flesh. And your sons and your daughters will prophesy. I like the way Dr. Jacobs interprets that. We don't all, you know, we could all prophesy according to 1 Corinthians. But he says, we'll all move in our ministries. We'll all move in our ministries. Whatever it is that you're anointed to do. Whatever it is that you're called of God to do. See, it's going to take being poured out upon by the Holy Ghost to get you moving in those ministries. Otherwise, it's just you doing it in the flesh and me doing it in the flesh, and that blesses nobody. Hallelujah. Glory to God. He says, and I will show wonders, and he goes on, uh, so forth and so on. So I want you to see here again that the age of the church began that day, on the day of Pentecost. Amen? With a divine outpouring and an empowerment of the Holy Ghost. So the age we're living in has been called the age of the church. That's fine. That's true. It's been called the age of grace. It is a day of grace. Amen. Where the gospel's being preached. Salvation's being offered to people who don't deserve it. People like me. People like you. Amen. Where we can be saved and we can be forgiven and we can be redeemed. And we can be made children of God. Amen. But it's also been called and less, it's been less emphasized. But this is the dispensation or the age of the Holy Ghost. This is His dispensation. So this dispensation we've been living in ought to be marked by an outpouring of the Spirit. See, we're so far off God's mind and standard for church. I'm talking about the body of Christ as a whole. We're living in an age that's to be marked with the emphasis of the moving 
and the demonstration of the Holy Spirit in the midst and through His people. And yet we have His people saying, I don't want the Holy Ghost. I don't need the Holy Ghost. I don't think it takes all that. I love Jesus because I don't want to go to hell, but I don't want the one He sent. I don't want the other one. Now that's offensive. That's offensive. It's heretical. It's almost blasphemous. Hello? I know people do it out of their ignorance and their traditional religious mistraining. But I tell you what, any Christian that says no to the Holy Ghost said no to the biggest help God ever offered them other than Jesus. And it's going to show up in the life. I said it's going to show up in the life. Jesus is the greatest gift, come on, that God ever gave the world. But the Holy Ghost is the greatest gift Jesus ever gave the church. Amen. Hallelujah. Oh, praise God. I want to read you something. And uh, uh, Brother Trevor and I were talking. Had just had just good fellowship. And uh, it just got me, got me thinking about how much more. And I'd already kind of been in this vein, and he just kind of in a good way provoked me. Praise God. But to rehearse, to go back. Amen. To go back and to remind ourselves all that God's already done. How He's already moved. And especially because we've got a whole generation comes up doesn't know anything about it. Amen. And now why would that be important? Well, I don't want to cover all the ground I went over last week. You could go back and listen to that on the podcast or the website. But you remember, the the reason we're back here in Acts chapter 2 is the Holy Ghost brought me back there to remind me. He said, listen, there's going to be a last day outpouring right before I come for the church. A, A tremendous outpouring and revival and move of the Holy Ghost. But how did it begin? The way you're going to get into it is the way you're going to go back to the beginning. And he gave me scripture for that. Ecclesiastes 1.9, remember that? That the thing that has been is the thing that shall be. And the thing that has been done is the thing that shall be done. The New Living Translation says history simply repeats itself. In other words, God's history prophesies the future. Then I think it's Isaiah 45.10, Isaiah 46.10, somewhere around in there. There's a scripture that says that God declareth the end from the beginning. Think about that. God declares, meaning He reveals the end from the beginning. So if you want to know the end of the thing, where should you go to? You go to the beginning. And so this is the beginning of the first great outpouring of the Holy Ghost. How did it begin, church? It it began by them being one accord in one place. But then the first supernatural thing that happened to them was what? They were poured out upon by the Holy Ghost. They were filled with the Holy Ghost. And they spoke with other tongues. And they experienced an intoxication, kind of a a manifestation where they stumbled around like drunk men. And see, we've had moves of God like this, and people thought they were heavyweight moves when really they were beginning stage moves. And see, God, I don't know what all that will come next, what that revival will look like. I'm not trying to put God in a box, but He's revealed to us how it's going to begin. And we have to be okay with being in the starting block. Amen? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Glory to God. So you got to be okay laughing when the Holy Ghost moves on you to laugh. 
That's not for the ultra-spiritual. That's the beginning thing. Amen. When the Holy Ghost moves on you to lift your hands and praise Him. Or to be quiet and reverence Him. Amen. How about just spending time speaking with other tongues? That's what, that's what this began with. Anyway, I got a hold of this today. And this is a book called The Smith Wigglesworth Prophecy and The Greatest Revival of All Time. Now, many books have been written about Wigglesworth. But you know, Wigglesworth in his uh, late 80s over in Bradford, England, grabbed up a young man that was saying goodbye to him, a young man that he'd been mentoring, a man named Lester Sumrall, who was just in his 20s at that time. And he was having to leave the country because of the Blitzkrieg, because the Germans were coming across the channel. If you weren't a Briton, an Englishman, you were going to have to leave. And so he grabbed him up, and all of a sudden, Wigglesworth said, I see it, I see it. Tears coming down on Summerall's face. You can go to YouTube and watch about a 26-minute video of him talking about this as an old man. And, and he, with tears, he said, Dad, what is it? What is it? What do you see? He said, after the war, there's coming a great revival of healing to America and around the world. You know that came to pass? He said, I won't be here for it. I won't be here to see it, but you will. But you will, and he was. And then he said, after that, I, he said, I see it. He said, what, Dad? What do you see? He said, oh, I see it. I see it. He said, I see denominations, Catholics, Episcopalians, denominations of every type coming into the fullness of the Spirit, the baptism with the Holy Ghost and speaking with other tongues. It was charismatic renewal. And you know it come to pass. You can read about it, church history. Came to pass. Then after that, he goes, oh, oh, my, 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 I see it. He goes, Dad, what is it? What do you see? He said, oh, I see stadiums, stadiums filled with people in their Bibles and their notebooks, and they're furiously writing notes as the Word of God is being preached and taught. It was the teaching wave. Now, I came into that wave, right? Started in the late, you know, about 1980. Went all the way through. Uh, well, the end of that era was when Kenneth E. Hagin went home be with the Lord. But stadiums were filled. And this is the time I came in where you had to stand outside in the Oklahoma heat for hour after hour after hour to get into a church service. Yeah, to hear a man get up and teach the Word of God on faith and to move in the Holy Ghost. Praise God. It's called the teaching wave. All through the 90s, early 2000s. But then one more time, he said, Oh, my, 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 I see it. I goes, I won't be here for it. But I see it. I see it. The greatest wave and move of God the earth has ever seen. The wave that will usher in the second coming of the Son of Man. He said, tell me, Dad, tell me about it. He said, it'll be all of these other waves wrapped up into one great move. Woo! And God is trying to get us into it. God is trying to get us into it. Come on, I'm talking about an outpouring and a move of God where the body of Christ comes into fullness. We come into a divine revelation we're living full. We're throwing off things, throwing off all that has hindered us like denominations and sectarianism and racism and compromise. Amen? And we rise up in glory and power and we take this world by storm inside. Woo! And we're caught away. Anyway, I have not been very as familiar with this evangelist. He came out of the healing wave. His name is evangelist Tommy Hicks. I don't know if you've ever heard of him. Uh, during that healing wave of the 40s and 50s, 
there began to be a magazine called The Voice of Healing. And it was a Christian magazine, kind of like Charisma Today. You can go out and on PDF and internet and get copies of it. But uh, they chronicled all of the ministries that God was using. They said that day healing was just in the air. It was easier to get somebody healed of a terminal disease than it was to get somebody backslid back right with Jesus. He said healing was just in the air, just popping out like popcorn. Easiest thing in the world, get somebody healed. And they had these magazines. Well, he was part of this. And in 1952 to 1953, he was uh, the leading evangelist in a revival in Argentina, which was a dictatorship at that time. And he had it on his heart to go. And uh, he said, I want to see the dictator. I want a stadium. I want a stadium and I want free advertising. I'm going to preach Jesus to your communist nation. And, you know, the guy's second in command, he showed up in the door. He wouldn't, obviously, you know, who are you? But he noticed he had something wrong with him. And he says, well, I'll tell you what. I prayed and ministered to him. And the guy got healed. And the guy said, come back here tomorrow. The guy said, come back here tomorrow. And uh, so he got an audience with the dictator the next day. And the dictator wasn't inclined to give him a stadium. And advertising and marketing in his communist nation. But this man you read about, I was reading about it in this book. And uh, he said uh, he had such a visible skin disease uh, that it was so pervasive on him that the dictator had stopped allowing anybody to take a picture of him. And Tommy Hicks laid his hands on Jesus, healed him instantly. And he got anything he wanted. He got anything he wanted. And they filled stadiums for an entire year that would seat 100,000. One, in one series of meetings, they had over a million people attend and over 300,000 saved and too many to account healed by the power of God. Well, in 1961, this evangelist had a vision. Can I read a portion of it to you? Or y'all won't go home? Okay. <laughs> we'll go home in a minute. So this happened. Now he says the same vision happened to him at least twice, I think three times. Uh, the first one is this one, and it was repeated exactly. On the 25th, uh, uh, July 25th, 1961, he had this vision. It was repeated exactly two days later, and I think it happened another third time, an exact repeat of this vision. Okay, so you just have to follow me as I read a little bit, okay? Amen. My message begins July 25th, 1961, about 2.30 in the morning. I was in Winnipeg, Canada. I had hardly fallen asleep when the vision and the revelation that God came to, uh, gave came to me. The vision came three times exactly in detail the morning of July the 25th, 1961. I was so stirred and moved by the revelation that I tell you this morning that it has changed my complete outlook on the body of Christ and upon end time ministry. I feel this morning that the greatest thing of the church lies right ahead it is so hard this morning to help men and women to realize and understand the thing that God is trying to give His people in the end time. This is interesting. He's been, he's try, this, we're hearing words about how God's trying to get the... It's 1961. Come on, where are we today? Almost 2020? Oh, Lord, help us catch up. I should have been in my heavenly mansion before now. Amen. I received a letter several weeks ago from one of our native evangelists down in Africa, down in Nairobi. This man and his wife were on their way to uh, an African 
uh, name, I can't really pronounce it. They could neither read nor could they write. But we have been supporting them for over two years. As they entered into this territory, they came across a small village. The entire village was evacuating and leaving because of a plague that had hit the village. Uh, we came, he came across some natives that were weeping and crying. Long story short, their mom and dad had died of this disease, this plague. This, this African missionary couple who couldn't read or write, they insisted they wanted to know what hut, where are these dead parents? And as the children are fleeing, leaving, and crying, they pointed into that hut over there, just trying to capsulize. And so the native and his wife went to the little college, entered into the college uh, cottage where the man and the woman had been dead for three days. He simply stretched forth his hand in the name of the Lord Jesus and spoke that man's name and that woman's name and said, In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I command life to come back into your bodies. Instantaneously, these two heathen people that had never known Jesus Christ as their Savior sat up and immediately began to praise God. The Spirit and the power of God came into the life of these people. To us, that may seem strange and may seem like a phenomena, but it is the beginning of this end-time ministry. I like this. God is going to take the do-nothings, the nobodies, the no-heard-ofs, and the no-accounts. Now see, if that's anybody, that's me. The nobodies, the never-heard-ofs. You might take that too. I don't know how many people know about you. Hallelujah. He is going to take every man and every woman. He's going to give them this outpouring of the Spirit of God. And then he quotes what we just read earlier in Acts chapter 2. I wonder this morning if we realize what he meant when God said, I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh. I don't think we fully realize the fullness of it. Let me get into this vision. As the vision appeared to me after I was asleep, I suddenly found myself in a great high distance. Where I was, I do not know. But as I was looking down upon the earth, suddenly the whole earth came into view. Every nation, every kindred, every tongue came before my sight. From the east and from the west and from the north and the south, I recognized every country and many cities that I had been in. And I was almost in fear and trembling as I stood beholding the great sight before me. At the moment when the world came into view, it began to lightning and thunder. And as the lightning flashed over the face of the earth, my eyes went downward. And as I was facing the north, and suddenly I beheld what looked like a great giant. And I stared and I looked at it. I was almost bewildered by the sight. It was so gigantic and so great in stature. His feet seemed to reach to the North Pole and his head to the south. Its arms were stretched from sea to sea. I could not even begin to understand whether this was a mountain or whether this was a giant. But as I watched it, I suddenly beheld this great giant. I could see, listen to this, I could see it was struggling for life to even live. But his body was covered with debris from head to foot. And at times this great giant would, would move its body and act as though it would raise up at times. And when it did, thousands of little creatures seemed to run away. Hideous looking creatures would run away from this giant. And when he would become calm, the giant, they would come back. All of a sudden this giant lifted his hands toward the heavens and lifted its other hand. And when it did, these creatures by the thousands seemed to flee away from the giant and go into outer darkness and into the night. Slowly this great giant began to rise. And as, did, as he did, his heads and his hands went into the clouds. 
And as he arose to his feet, he seemed to have cleansed himself from the debris and the filth that was upon him. And he began to raise his hands into heaven as though praising the Lord. And he raised his hands as if it was even into the clouds. Suddenly every cloud became silver, the most beautiful silver I have ever known. As I watched the phenomena, it was so great, I could not even begin to understand what it all meant. I was so stirred as I watched it. I cried unto the Lord and said, Oh Lord, what is the meaning of this? It felt I was actually in the Spirit. I could feel the presence of the Lord even as I was asleep. And from those clouds, suddenly great drops of liquid light began to rain down upon this mighty giant. And slowly, this giant began to melt, began to sink, as it were, into the very earth itself. And as he melted, his whole form seemed to have melted upon the face of the earth. As this great rain began to come down, rain, did y'all get that? began to come down liquid drops of light, as it were, began to flood the very earth itself. And as I watched this giant that seemed to melt, suddenly it became millions of people over the face of the earth. As I beheld the sight before me, people stood up all over the world. They were lifting their hands and they were praising the Lord. At that very moment, there came a great thunder that seemed to roar from the heavens, a voice like that of a lion roared. I turned my eyes toward heaven and suddenly I saw a figure in white, glistening white. The most glorious thing that I've ever seen in all my life. I did not see the face, but somehow I knew it was the Lord Jesus Christ. Somehow I knew it was Jesus Himself and He stretched forth His hand. As He did so, He would stretch it forth to one and to another and to another. And as He stretched forth His hand upon the peoples and the nations of the world, men and women, He pointed towards them. This liquid light seemed to flow from His hand into His person. And a mighty anointing of God came upon them. And those people began to go forth in the name of the Lord. I do not know how long I watched it. It seemed like it went into days and weeks and months. As I beheld this Christ, He continued to stretch forth His hand. But there was a tragedy. There were many people, as He stretched forth His hands, that refused the anointing of God and the call of God. I saw many women that I knew. People I felt that certainly they would receive the call of God. But as He stretched forth His hands towards this one and toward that one, they simply bowed their heads and began to back away. And to each of those that seemed to bow down and back away, they seemed to go into darkness. Blackness seemed to swallow them everywhere. I was bewildered as I watched it. But as these people, He had anointed hundreds and thousands of people all over the world in Africa, Asia, Russia, China, America, all over the world. The anointing of God was upon these peoples as they went forth in the name of the Lord. Y'all all all right? (laughs) These men and women as they went forth, they were ditch diggers. They were washermen. They were rich men. They were poor men. I saw people who were bound with paralysis and sickness and blindness. And the Lord stretched forth His hand to give them this anointing. And they became well. They became healed. And they went forth. And this is the miracle of it. This is the glorious miracle of it. Those people who would stretch forth their hand exactly as the Lord did. It seemed as there was liquid fire that seemed to be in their hand. And as they stretched forth their hand, they said, According to my word, you be made whole. I saw people go to insane institutions. Now, Wigglesworth saw this too. Hospitals being emptied out. This is all of the revelation that God gave to me. It was so mighty and so majestic. I saw little women in little little gingham dress go stand in an insane institution. And as I saw her go into that institution, my mind went back to more than 30 years ago to a little town in Illinois. When I had gone into an, an institution of some 500 inmates... In this institution, I remembered as I went forth from ward to ward, I looked at those people 
Tears streamed down my face and I asked, Oh Lord, why is it that your people do not have power? Why is it that I do not have power that I could go into this institution and say, Be thou made whole? But I hardly had to utter those words when somehow something within me uh, seemed to say, The hour is coming. The day is coming. You will see it. You will stretch forth your hand when my people will stretch forth their hands and these people shall be made whole. Raise your hand and praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. We praise you, Jesus. Hallelujah. As these people continued in this mighty end time ministry, I did not fully realize what it was. And I looked to the Lord and said, What is the meaning of this? And He said, this is that. Woo! Come on now. This is that that I will do in the last days. I will restore all that the canker worm, the palmer worm, the cat, that's Joel's prophecy. I will restore all that they have destroyed. This is my people. In the end time, they shall go forth. As a mighty army, they shall sweep over the face of the earth. As I was at this great height, where I was, I do not know. I only know that I could see, I could behold the whole world. I watched these people as they were going to and fro over the face of the earth. Suddenly there was a man in Africa. And in the moment he was transported in the Spirit of God. Perhaps he was in Russia or China or America or some other place. All over the world these people went. You know, I heard about missionaries in Russia that didn't have a car. And God would say, go to the airport in this city. He'd go, okay. When he got to the airport in the city, the word of the Lord would come to him and say, go to the men's bathroom, go into a stall and shut the door. That's a weird word. But he did. He went in the men's bathroom, went in the stall and shut the door. A few minutes later, the Lord said, okay, you come out now. And when he came out now, he was in the airport in a different city where he was to go and preach the gospel. Yeah, come on, recorded fact. Some people got together some years later and bought him a car. And when he got the car, all that stopped. He said, I'd wish they'd never bought me that car. Come on now. See, some of these things have already taken place, church. These people went. They came through fire. They came through pestilence and through famine. Neither fire or persecution. Nothing seemed to stop them. Angry mobs came against them. I'll crystallize here. As they marched forward, everything they did in the ministry of Christ at the end time, they repeated what Jesus did on the earth. These people were ministering to the multitudes over the face of the earth. Tens of thousands, even millions, seemed to come to the Lord Jesus Christ. As these people stood forth and gave the message of the kingdom, it was so glorious. It seemed as though there were those who rebelled and He became angry. Or those that rebelled became angry. They tried to attack those workers that were giving the message in the end time, but nothing would hinder it. God is going to have a people. God is going to give the world a demonstration in this last hour such as the world has never known before. Those men and women are from all works of life, walks of life. Degrees will mean nothing. Come on. I'll finish up here. I saw these workers as they went over the face of the earth. When one seemed to stumble and fall, another would come and pick them up. There were no big eyes and little U's, but every mountain was brought low and every valley was exalted. And they seemed to have one thing in common. There was a divine love. A divine love that seemed to flow forth from these people as they went together, as they worked together, as they lived together. It was the most glorious thing I have ever known. Jesus Christ was the theme of their life. 
Man, that touched me this afternoon. Then he says, is Jesus Christ the theme of yours? Mm-mm-mm. Does he mean everything to you? They continued, and it seemed as the days went by, I stood and beheld his sight. I could only cry, and sometimes I laughed. It was so wonderful. And these people went through the face of the whole earth, bringing in this last time. Time will fail me, but this vision goes all the way through the rapture of the church. He saw it. Now this massive giant that had the demons and the debris all over it was the church. But it rose up. I didn't get to it, but this was a headless giant. But in the midst, in the, in, as this thing progressed, he saw the head come and take his place on his body. And he said, this is my bride. Oh, come on. Hallelujah. Wow, wow, wow. I'm going to close with this. See, I just want to stir our appetite. We have got to break out of our funk, church, where we don't think it matters if we pray. We don't think it matters anything if we come to church. We don't think it matters if we serve. Come on, it does. It does. And we have to keep the goal in view. And the goal is to take this gospel in power and love to the ends of the earth. Hallelujah. Come on. I want to close with this. In, uh, over in Abakan, Russia, Dr. Dufresne was doing a meeting. Man, I don't think I would have. I was connected at that time. I don't think I was invited. God help me if I turned down the opportunity to go to this meeting. <laughs> but uh, they were in a, a small tent in Russia. Dr. Dufresne was there. Dr. Hadabal was there. Uh, Dr. Jacobs was there. And there was another pastor in there named... Uh, Pastor Watkins, Gerald Watkins from Chicago. As they're having dinner, Gerald Watkins had had a history of heart trouble. In fact, they said before this meeting, he'd picked out his casket. The doctor said, you don't have long. And he stood up over dinner and he says, oh, dad, talking about Dr. Frain, I'm having a heart attack. And fell over, boom, right in the middle of this little room. And when he did, Dr. Jacobs is sitting there. He saw Dr. Dufresne put his hand on his back where his heart would be. And uh, he said when he did that, an angel came in and also laid his hand on his back. And they ministered to him. And in a moment, he goes, he was up and was completely well. And when Pastor Gerald stood up completely well and healed, this prophecy came out of Dr. Dufresne's mouth. Amen. You ready? It says, who are these men? Now, this prophecy includes women, but I, I haven't got, been able to collect the text yet where he addresses women, but the women are included. Okay. Who are these men? They can tell me about my past. They can tell me about my future. Who are these men that are moving across the land with the power of God, doing the acts of God? These are the men that I will send over the, all the world with special anointings. Special anointings, special works of God, special acts of God will flow through their ministries. Who are these men? These are the men that will walk in the power of the acts of God and the healings of God. And they will move across this land. This generation raised up for miracle. Notice he didn't say preacher. He said a generation. A generation raised up for miracles, signs, and wonders. Who are these men? When they go into cities and churches raise up right away, right away. I'll tell you who these men are. These are the men of the last days. 
who are anointed by the power of God to do the acts of God, who yield themselves to the acts of God. Hallelujah. 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 Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. <laughs> Hallelujah. Glory to God. Amen. Amen. Praise God. Hallelujah. I don't know what to do. Maybe I'll just let you go home. You know that sometimes the Psalms, they just stop. And David will say, Selah. You know, think about that. Think about that. But see, we have this awesome privilege. Every member of the body of Christ does. No denomination will be left out. I didn't get to it, but that's one thing he saw. He said there was no such thing in this vision as a denomination, just a people. Just a people who love Jesus. Huh? What was that? Yeah, hallelujah. Glory to God. But we have this responsibility. And we have this privilege. What are we going to do with what we know? What are we going to do with what we know? Come on, what are we going to do with what we know? We don't know everything. But we know how this thing began. We know the match that was thrown in Acts chapter 2. It was the baptism with the Holy Ghost. It was speaking with other tongues. Thank you, Father. You could stand to your feet tonight. I did have something to leave you with. I had it on my heart today. Praise God to, to give you a challenge. And it's a, it's a talk in tongues challenge. You got to start somewhere. Amen. Amen. Now I know some of you, but here's what I want you to do. I, I, would, I would just want you to put some things to work. And we need to let God work for us so that we can gain confidence. Amen. And then get busy working for God out there in the field. Hallelujah. I, my challenge to you is this. Take your most pressing problem, your greatest pressing desire or need that you have in your life right now, and I want you for the next seven days make this challenge, right? Take it as a challenge. Hold that before God. Sit down in one private place and pray in the Holy Ghost. Pray in tongues. Ask the Holy Spirit to take hold together with you in the Spirit about that thing. And do it every day for seven days. And then write something down, right, that you could share with me about the, what, what happened. What did you see? Now, not everything in your life may get fixed in a week. Come on. But I know, I know a lot of you aren't praying five minutes in the Holy Ghost. Sit down in your comfy chair and pray in the Holy Now, here's how I'll demonstrate it for you. Now, Father, this is what I've been doing. Father, I hold before you the sale of this home in Kevill, Kentucky. And I know, Father God, it's not going to be done in might or earthly power. I want it done by the Holy Ghost. Holy Spirit, you are my helper. And I know I have a, I've been bringing my faith, but there's help to be had in the Spirit. And so, Holy Spirit, take hold together with me now as I yield to you in prayer. And do that for 30 minutes. Hallelujah. It's time for every believer, not just me and other preachers like Kamal, to tap into the supernatural power of the Spirit to get things done. I don't think you'd like if I you know, assigned you a dead man that's been in a hut in the sun for three days and that would be your first assignment. 
But how about just taking that little old problem you got and, and put the power of God on it and get some experience for yourself of what the Holy Ghost will do for you and through you as you yield to Him and pray in other tongues. Amen? Amen. Who will do it? Going to take me up on this challenge. Come on, praise God. All right, we're going to have some testimonies. Amen? Thank you, Father, for what we've heard tonight. Thank you for this precious gathering of people.